Scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. And this is the modern English version. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we approach your throne as humble as we know how. We know you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask that you will be with us as we worship today. We ask, Father, that if we'll all just put away the things of the world right now and center our thoughts and mind on you and the words that are going to be taught to us today. We ask you, Father, as we think about all the people in our lives, we think of this church, this family, and we think of those that are sick, those in hospitals and nursing homes. Sometimes, Father, they're very lonely. They don't know that we still love them. They do, but sometimes they probably feel lonely. I ask you, Father, in a special way to bless them. Those that are watching, those that are maybe listening to the words of this prayer. We love them, Father, and we want them to get well. Those that are sick, those that are suffering, and those that are in our lives. Each person here has people in their lives that they love so dearly. And, Father, we know that you care for us. Every day you walk with us. Please, Father, please help us stay on the path. We know we fail you. We fail sometimes in a terrible way. But as I stand before you and I stand before these folks, we ask for your forgiveness so that we might be pure in your sight as we worship you this day. Bless our song service as Jacob leads. Bless our preaching as Andy teaches us. Bless our elders, our deacons, our members, our staff that work here. And Father, we ask you to be with those that are on our list of sick, those that are home, those that are just getting out of the hospital. We thank you, Father, for their recovery. And we thank you, Father, for the love you have for them. Father, as I stand before you and I speak words, I know I'm inadequate to say thank you. You've given us so many things in our lives. Each person here has been blessed beyond measure. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. And we ask you, Father, to continue to watch over us, be with our leadership in Washington, D.C., Father, sometimes we get get where we don't understand what's going on in life. But we know, Father, that everything is happening because you want it to happen. We ask you to bless those that are suffering in this world. And we ask you, Father, as we could 
continue our prayer that you'll watch over us each and every day. Help us humbly walk, humbly walk in your paths. Thank you again, Father, for this opportunity to stand in your presence. And we ask you, Father, to continue to watch over us in our families, in our church, in our country. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our next song will be on the PowerPoint only, Days of Elijah. We'll sing both of these verses. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sword, still we are the voice in the desert, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant, David preparing a temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as white in the world. <clears throat> Declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes. Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. Our song of invitation will also be on the PowerPoint only. Just as I am, I come broken. Song before the lesson will be number 836. 836, the great redeemer. We'll sing verses 1 and 3. If you would please stand while we sing. How I love the great redeemer. Who is doing so much for me? With what joy I tell the story Of the love that makes men free 
Till my earthly life is ended. I will sing songs above, then beside the crystal sea, praising Jesus and his love. He is everything to me, to me. He is everything to me, and everything shall always be. I will never cease to raise a song of gladness in His praise. Here and in the world above, my soul shall sing of saving love. Life and light and joy is He, the precious friend died for me. Glory be to him forever. Endless praises to Christ the Lamb. He has filled my life with sunshine. He has made me what I am. Oh, that everyone would know him. Oh, that all would adore, oh, that all would trust the love and be his forevermore. He is everything to me. He is everything to me, and everything shall always be. I will never cease to raise a song of gladness in his praise. Here and in the world above, my soul shall sing of saving love. Life and light and joy is he, the precious friend who died for me. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It is good for us to worship God together this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll continue in the book of uh, Mark as we've been for the last several weeks. We'll be in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. If you're uh, here with us and you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles provided on the back of the pew in front of you, and that passage begins on page 844. If you want to use one of those Bibles, it starts on page 844. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping God with us. I hope that it is a blessing to you, and we are thankful that you've taken the time out of whatever's going on in your life uh, to be here. We would request only one thing of you. Give us a little bit of your time after services so that we can get to know you, you can get to know us, and see if there's any way we can help each other on our journey towards heaven. As I said, we have been doing a series called uh, Who is This Lord We Love? Uh, We've been going through the book of Mark, and we're trying to figure out who is Jesus, Who is this guy that so many of us as Christians have named him as our Lord and dedicated our lives to him? And this morning's lessons, uh, this lesson may be the most important one. Uh, All of them are important because we're learning more about Jesus, we're learning more about our Lord, but this one is certainly 
of uh, very much importance. It is that Jesus, this Lord that we love, he is the Christ. And we want to understand, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that he is the Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus as the Christ? And what does God have to say about Jesus being the Christ? Those are kind of our three big points, if you will, that we'll cover this morning. So we really are just going to walk through a very rich text here in uh, Mark chapter 8, starting verse 27. We'll cover a little bit of chapter 9 as well. Lots to learn here. I hope, again, that it will be a blessing to you and it will help you to, uh, to follow Jesus better in your everyday life. So let's start. Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. It says, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Well, as we've talked about the last several weeks, Jesus and his his apostles and disciples have been really traveling back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, which is a pretty large body of water in northern Palestine, northern Israel. Uh, And now he's going even further. Caesarea Philippi would be about 25 miles north of uh, the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is uh, taking his, certainly probably his apostles, the 12, but it doesn't just say apostles, it says his disciples. So there's, who knows exactly how many, probably a pretty large crowd of people that are just, they're just following Jesus. They've, they've left everything else. They've left their jobs, they've left their homes, some of them left their families, and they're just following Jesus wherever he goes. Kind of like how we're supposed to be. Following Jesus wherever he goes. Uh, and, and they have left the Sea of Galilee, and they're walking. Uh, Jesus, you know, very rarely, other than one time, we see him riding a beast of burden. So he's walking. Everybody else is probably walking. They may have a, a pack animal or something like that with them. We don't really know. But they're traveling 25 miles to get to this district or these, this area of Caesarea Philippi. And as he's walking, just like you would do probably, maybe the last time you were on a road trip, uh, those are times when you're stuck in a car with somebody, uh, and you have conversations, okay? You talk about important things. So here in this 25-mile walk with this large crowd of disciples, at least the 12, probably many more, uh, Jesus begins to have a very important discussion. And it says, on the way, verse 27 again, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do the people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And we can, we can notice here some, some good things. They, if, if you were, as, as a Christian, as a, as a speaker, as someone who was a, a follower of God, especially in the first century, if someone says, you must be John the Baptist, then people would have recognized you're a pretty important person. You're pretty significant. Remember, John the Baptist was out there, and he was kind of that wild man who wore uh, camel skin, and he ate bugs and honey, and, and probably not exactly the life you want to live. But, but he is out there, and, and people came in droves to him. And he baptized them for the remission of their sins, telling them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the significant individual in first century history, John the Baptist. And then if they would have said, and others say that you're Elijah, well, that's even, that's even bigger. Uh, first of all, because there was a prophecy about Elijah coming back, so maybe they think that he's this prophecy fulfilled in that way. But in the Old Testament, Elijah would have been the most, at least in Jewish mindset, the most superior prophet that there is. And when you think about all of the prophets who did all of the many things all the prophets did, Elijah is the epitome of the prophets. So to say you're John the Baptist or to say you're Elijah or even to say you're one of the other prophets, that was high praise. Who do the people say that Jesus is? They say that he's good, but they don't say that he's God. They're missing something. They say that he's good, but they don't say that he's God. Let's learn more about the Christ in verses 29 through 31. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? First of all, let's stop there. Do you notice the difference between the questions? 
Who do the people say that I am? Who, who, do, who do the people in the, in the community, in all these places that we're visiting, and, and all these places that we're going, traveling back and forth, who do the people say that I am? Well, they say you're good, but they don't say you're God. And then he turns to his disciples, his closest followers, and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And notice his answer, uh, Peter's answer here. In verse 28, uh, sorry, verse, verse 27. I'll get there eventually. Verse 28. Answered, and, and Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. So let's notice again, first of all, who do the people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? There should be a difference in our lives, not only mentally, uh, but especially as we continue on in our lesson, uh, the, the, the response or the result of what we believe about Jesus should make a difference in our lives. The people say that he's good. He's John the Baptist. He's Elijah. He's one of the prophets. Those are all people worthy of following. But Peter says, you are the Christ. And we read earlier in, in uh, Matthew's account, you're the son of the living God. And remember the praise that Jesus heaps upon Peter because of that and the blessings that come from all of those, uh, that, that passage that was read to us. But there, there should be a difference. When you think about Jesus, you should think about Jesus as a Christian differently than the world thinks about Jesus. They may think he's a good guy, a good philosopher. He has some good ideas about life. But we should look at him as the Christ. Well, the question has to be, what does it mean to be the Christ? Who is the Christ? And we'll learn more about that as we read about what does it mean to be the Christ? What did it mean for Jesus? But if we, if we really want to understand what it means to be the Christ, the Christ is the Messiah. The Christ is the anointed one. Uh, the Christ is the promised one. And I want to focus in on that idea, the, the promised one, for just a minute. When you think about who is Jesus, who is this Lord we love? Who is Jesus Christ? Well, we need to understand that Christ was not his last name. I'm hoping that most of us realize that, but not everybody may. Christ was not his last name. It was a title. He is Jesus the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the promised one. If we would go back to Genesis, uh, the earliest history between man and God, we would meet a man named Abraham. And Abraham and God made a covenant. They made an agreement between them. And God made some promises to Abraham. God promised him, hey, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. We call that in the Old Testament the promised land. Did you know that's why we call it the promised land? Because it was the land that was promised to Abraham? It's the promised land. He also makes to Abraham a a blessing of prosperity. He says, I'm going to bless you. And that would mean financially, probably. He was going to take care of him, not necessarily with dollars and cents, but he was going to bless him with cattle and sheep and oxen and, and all kinds of things like that. He was going to bless him in that way. He said, from you, Abraham, a great nation will come about. So we find that in the Old Testament again through the, through the Israelites. There was this great nation that would come, but there was a fourth promise. The most important promise and the promise that we're talking about today. That in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Yes, Abraham would, from Abraham's descendants, there would be a great and strong and mighty nation, the Israelites. But from Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You can read about those promises in Genesis 18 Uh, Verse 22 and chapter 22, verse 22. The promised one. There was someone from Abraham's descendants that would be a blessing to all the nations. And we know that today as Jesus. That's why he's the promised one. That's why he's the Messiah. That's why he's the anointed one. That's why Jesus is the Christ. He's promised. Not to the Jews, but he came through the Jews. To bless all the nations 
of the earth. What does it mean to be the Christ? At verse 30, Jesus warned them to tell no one about him. He says, it's not time for people to really understand what it is for me to be the Christ yet. But then in verse 31, and he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, Son of Man there is just another reference to some Old Testament uh, prophecies that were made about Jesus, especially in the book of Daniel. You read about that in Ezekiel as well and also in the book of Revelation. But it's just another name for this promised one that would come and, and bless all the nations of the earth. But Jesus begins to tell them what it means, what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ, that he would go and he would be rejected by the religious leaders of the Jews that he would die and that he would rise again. What is he telling them? To be the Christ means to fulfill the gospel. Scripture teaches us that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And here, Jesus is beginning to teach in the most clearest of languages, in the plainest way possible, this is why I'm here. I've come here. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to rise from the grave. Notice the response uh, that some of his apostles have. What does it mean as we think about to follow Jesus, to follow the Christ? What does it mean to, to follow him? Let's look in verses 32 through 37. And he, as he was stating the matter, the matter excuse me, plainly, uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter, of course, is one of Jesus' closest followers. Uh, we'll, we'll see here in a minute that Peter is even in the, the inner circle of the 12 with Peter, James, and John. Peter takes Jesus aside. It's just, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be rejected and they're going to kill me. And maybe Peter just doesn't hear the rest of it. Maybe Peter misses, hey, I'm going to come back to life. Maybe he just misses that as soon as he hears he's going to die. But Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Now, what kind of rebuke is it? I don't know. We don't, we don't know exactly. Maybe he's concerned, Jesus, that can't happen to you. Jesus, I won't let that happen to you. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe, maybe he presents, but, but Jesus, what if we did it this way? What if you became this great king that so many of us think that you're going to be? Again, remember how I said earlier that the promised one came through the Jews, not to the Jews? Well, that's not what the Jews thought. The Jews thought the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ was coming to them. And that when he came to them, he would restore their might and their power and they would be that great nation once again. Maybe that's what Peter is rebuking. Jesus, we can't become this great nation. You can't be our king if you die. No way. You can't do that. You're going to be the great king. You're going to make us the most powerful nation in the world again. Maybe he offers what Peter thinks at least is a better way. Verse 33, notice Jesus' response, and I think it's interesting. Notice Jesus' response to Peter's rebuke of some way. He says, but turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. My question here would be, as we think about who is this Lord we love, Jesus as the Christ, was Jesus tempted by Peter's rebuke? It sounds very similar to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 4 when he goes out into the wilderness after his baptism and he's tempted. We have three specific instances of him being tempted by Satan. And at the end of that, he says, go, Satan. And here he says, get behind me, Satan. There's, I believe, some sort of temptation here. 
Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. No, I don't know how to perfectly explain that, but that's what the Bible teaches, and I believe it, okay? Uh, so, so I think that it was, it was possible for him to have been tempted by this idea that, no, Jesus, you don't need to die. You can just become the king, that we're expecting you to be. And you can take God's people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, and you can raise us up again to this great nation. But, but Jesus looks around and he sees his other disciples there with him and maybe they're, they're drawing closer as Peter has pulled him aside. Excuse me, aside. And he wants to make sure that they know and that he knows and that Peter knows, no, that's not why I'm here. I came to die. I came to be resurrected so this gospel could be fulfilled in verses 34 and following he summons the crowd he summons all those disciples with him and i think he's providing some clarity to them and maybe some clarity to him and and certainly to peter and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them if anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me brothers and sisters i want you to listen to that again We've talked about what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ. We've talked about what, it me- what the Christ was. Here we're learning about what does it mean to follow the Christ. And if you're a Christian, that's what you've committed your life to doing. And he's telling, by, by speaking to the crowd here, he's reminding Peter, who's thinking about man's interest and not God's interest, and he's telling Peter and the crowd, here's what God is interested in. If anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Here we we see really three points really quickly. Uh, Our life as Christians is no longer about us, it's about Jesus and if we want to follow Jesus, we've got to buy into that. Not just this, this general idea of, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, but this very specific purpose of my life is no longer about me. Everything that I say, everything that I do, every decision that I make is seeking to glorify God. I know you're not perfect at that. I know I'm not perfect at that. But that needs to be our goal and our aim, that everything we do seeks to glorify God. He says there when he talks about whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever saves his life will uh, lose his life for my sake will, will, will save it. That's the idea that it's a beautiful thought that you can come to Jesus as you are. And it's a true thought. You can come to Jesus, you as a Christian, but most of us are there already. But the people in the world, you can come to Jesus however you are. With whatever sin, with whatever struggles, with wherever you're at socially, with what, who, whatever the stuff is in your life, good and bad, you can come to Jesus just like that. But he loves you too much to leave you there. It's necessary to change. It's necessary to conform to his will and to conform to God's likeness. He expects us to become more like him. It's like those words that John the Baptist said as Jesus' popularity grew and grew and grew and his, question, the, his disciples came and questioned him. John said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And that's got to be true in each of our lives. And then when he talks about this idea of gaining the world and forfeiting his soul, basically I think if we were to sum that up really quickly, it would, it would be the idea that there's no victory there. There's no victory in anything that the world can offer us if we have to give up our soul, if we have to give up our life. Look in chapter 9. 
and verse 2. So we've learned and we've talked about briefly about uh, what the people say. They say he's good, but he's not God. And then we, we learn that, that his people, Jesus' people, we understand that he is the Christ. What does it mean to be the Christ? What does it mean to follow the Christ? And then almost as an exclamation point in this, this event in history, six days later we find in chapter 9 and verse 2, God speaks on the matter. Listen to what God says. Chapter 9, starting in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought him up to a high mountain, brought them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Now, there's one of those words that we don't use too much, right? Transfigured. Probably haven't used that too much lately. Uh, what does that mean? That's a really fancy way of saying he was made to look different than he normally did. Okay, he's going to talk about here how his, his clothes begin to, to shine brighter than any, any laundry mat could get them in the whole world, all right? Uh, it's, they're going to be just shining extremely brightly. I believe other parallel passages talk about even his, his face is shining. And that reminds us about when Moses is able to be in the presence of God in the Old Testament. And he comes back out of there and his face is shining. And people say, we can't even look at you. You're shining so brightly. He's transfigured before them. And here's what's really important, verse, verse 3 and following. And his garments uh, became radiant and exceedingly white, so no launderer on earth can whiten them. Verse 4, here's Elijah. Remember, we've already talked about him. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So here we have Elijah and Moses. Again, if you think about the Old Testament, to the Jews, to Peter and James and John who are there, who are Jewish, this would have been the, the culmination of everything God has ever said. Elijah would, rec- would, would, re- would uh, talk about and reference uh, all of the prophets of the Old Testament. And Moses would talk about all of the law. So all uh, 39 books of the Old Testament would be wrapped up in this appearance of Moses and Elijah. You don't get bigger on the Mount Rushmore of Judaism than Moses and Elijah. And they're there, and they're talking with Jesus. And notice Peter's response. Let's actually start in verse 6, then we'll read verse 5. Verse 6 it says, For he, Peter, did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. So, So they're on this mountain. You know, maybe they already have a beautiful view, but then Jesus is transfigured and he's shining brightly, and Moses and Elijah show up, and how do they know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know exactly. They probably had drawings or paintings, perhaps, of what Moses and Elijah looked like. Maybe there was something significant about what Moses and Elijah were, were holding. Maybe Moses had his staff that could turn into a snake. Maybe Elijah was holding his, uh, had his, his mantle that he passed on to Elisha. I don't know how he knew it, but, but somehow they knew. This is Jesus, the guy we're following. He's the Christ. I just said that the last chapter, at six days ago. And there's Moses and Elijah. This is a big deal. And it says they became terrified, and Peter didn't know what to say, but somehow, just as Peter is, even when he didn't know what to say, he still found something to say. Go back to verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, that means teacher, it is good. It is good for us to be here. Jesus, this is special. Thanks for letting us be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. So here it says in verse 6, Peter didn't know what to say, but Peter always had something to say. So he said something. Hey, Jesus, it's great for us to be here. Let's make these tabernacles. Let's make these, these, these temporary worship places in some way. And, and, and perhaps he's equating, because of how important Moses and Elijah were to the Old Testament, he's almost equating them to Jesus. And then God speaks on the matter. Verse 7. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, Listen to him. 
I loved what Courtney did a few weeks ago when he was talking about uh, the Lord's Supper and the, few, the number of times that Jesus, that God speaks from heaven. And it's almost as if God's joy in what Jesus is doing overflows out of heaven. And this voice, maybe it's a booming voice, we don't know what it is, but this voice out of heaven says, This is my son. I love him. That's what it means, beloved son. This is my son. I love him. And here he says, Listen to him. Notice God did not say, listen to Moses, even though the law came through Moses. God did not say, listen to Elijah, even though all of the prophets and all of their teaching and all of their actions and all of the, all of the activity of the Old Testament would have been wrapped up in Elijah. He didn't say, listen to Elijah. He said, listen to my beloved son. Verse 8. All at once, they, Peter, James, and John, look around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. I want you to focus in as we begin to wrap up those two words. Jesus alone. Peter learned a lot in that week, didn't he? Peter had a pretty busy week. He goes in in one day, in a matter of minutes, from saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in Matthew's account, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, and and upon this rock I'm going to build my church, and what a wonderful event. And Peter probably thought pretty highly of himself. And then Jesus begins to teach about how he's going to have to die, and Peter takes takes him to the side and rebukes him, and then he calls him Satan. So there's a pretty, you know, emotional roller coaster there. You know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Satan, Right? He's going through a pretty emotional roller coaster. And then six days later, he's on this mountain. It's good for us to be here. Let's build these tabernacles to you, Jesus, and to Moses and to Elijah. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. There's nobody left but Jesus alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. The song that we sang earlier said, In Christ alone, our hope is found. Who is this Lord we love? He's Jesus, the Christ, the resurrected Son of the living God. And we follow him. Praise God. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Again, if you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 946. 946. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This morning, are you here and you have yet to name or claim or, or profess your faith in Jesus Christ? Again, what does it say? Simple, simple words here but a significant action to take, a significant decision to make. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now I want you to go back to Mark chapter 8 and verse 38. Mark chapter 8 and verse 38. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 39, whoever is ashamed of me, And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. My question for you today is, Christian, non-Christian, wherever you're at on that spectrum of faith, 
Are you ashamed of Jesus? Or are you proud of Jesus? Will you boldly stand and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God and I claim Him as my Lord. And again, that means when He's our Lord, remember we we like this idea of Jesus being our Lord and Savior. We really love the idea of Savior. I need a Savior. Please help me. Save me. But He's not just our Savior. He's also our Lord. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it almost carries along this, this idea that if, if it results in, in righteousness, but Him being our Lord results in salvation. Confessing Jesus as the resurrected Son results in righteousness. It makes us right with God, but only claiming Him as our Lord results in salvation. You cannot have salvation. You cannot be saved if Jesus is not your Lord. And what it means for Jesus to be your Lord is you can come to Him however you want, but you cannot stay that way. You have to change. You have to conform your life and your will to His way. Brothers and sisters, have you done that? You've already named Jesus as Lord if you're a Christian. I imagine. I would trust that you have. If you haven't, then we need to talk. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he in charge of your life? Are you striving to follow him day by day, picking up your cross daily and following after him? Are you proud? Are you willing to claim that? To let everybody around you know that? If I were to ask you this morning even to stand up and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is a resurrected Son of God and He's my Lord and my Savior, would you even be willing to do that in this place? Well, that would be great if you were. But God doesn't want us to do that here. He wants us to do that out there. He wants us to live for Him. To show others about Him. He is the Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. If you're a Christian this morning, my challenge to you is, if we're children of God, let's live like it. If we're heirs to the throne, let's live like it. If we're servants of God, let's live like it. If we're His people, let's live like it. And if you're not a Christian this morning, and maybe you've been here a lot, maybe you're here every Sunday, or maybe this is your first time, If you believe that Jesus Christ is a resurrected Son of God, if you'll name Him as your Lord and strive to live for Him the best of your ability, then you can call upon His name, it says later on in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. And we were learning in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 that to call on the name of the Lord happens in baptism. There's nothing magical about the water. It's an appeal to God for a clean conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 tells us. If you have sin in your life and you need to be saved from your sin, Christ's blood is the only way to do it. And you access that through believing in Him, repenting to Him, confessing Him, not just a belief that you believe that He was, but specifically, I want you to understand, confessing that He's your Lord. Then you can be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're not a Christian this morning, God has died so that you would be. I would beg for you to be, but God has died so that you would be. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do your actions show it? Do you need to make any changes? This family at Jefferson Avenue is here for you. Brothers and sisters who are here all the time, we're here for you. We know that you've got struggles. We're here for you. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to be here for you too. We can do anything for you. We're going to sing a song here in just a second. And when we stand and sing that, if you want to come forward and talk to me, 
And we'll pray for you and we'll begin a process of helping you in whatever ways we can. Brothers and sisters, let's help each other get to heaven. Whether you come forward or whether you just help each other without coming forward, let's help each other get to heaven. And if you're not a Christian, again, Christ died so that you could be forgiven of your sins. If you're interested in knowing more about that, we're interested in telling you more about it. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.